Hello again, everyone. This is Dan Duva. Welcome to SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D Hotel. 31 games into the 2021 season, we'll examine how the Golden Knights are doing among the West Division and NHL leaders. With the trade deadline looming on April 12th, we'll discuss where Vegas can improve. We'll also go through the compressed schedule, matchups with West Division contenders, goaltending, officiating, and more. We'll cap the show remembering career experiences reminiscent of the struggling Buffalo Sabres. It's SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by The D Hotel. And now... Here's Dave. There's Dan Duva getting ready for Easter. Already he's in the Easter mood. Thanks very much, Dan. I am some guy named Dave. Dave Gosher along with Shay Knighty, Gary Lawless, and the aforementioned Dan Duva, the Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave podcast coming to you here uh, late March. Not quite Easter, but a couple of weeks, uh, I guess a little week shy of, uh, of the Easter holiday, but also coming up on a couple of weeks shy of the NHL's trade deadline. So... Let's get into it a little bit, guys. The Golden Knights are, you know, they're one of the elite teams in the league. As we sit here taping this, they're coming off a tough loss against Colorado, but they really haven't had a game like that this season until just uh, recently. Gary, I'll start with you because I know you love this stuff as much as you love uh, Christmas morning. So the trade deadline, <laughs> Golden Knights, um, you know this better than us three dopes. Uh, do they, can they do much? Do they, do they have a nickel to spend here with a salary cap? Yeah, it'll be fascinating because, uh, you know, they've been very creative in past years. You know, last year they did not have the money for Robin Leonard, so they got the Blackhawks to to keep money and then they had the Blackhawks trade Leonard to, to Toronto. They got Toronto to keep money and then he arrived in Vegas basically for free uh, or close to it anyways. So th- if they're going to add, they're probably going to have to do a pass through deal like that or uh, money in money out. If uh, and, I, and like if you're a contender, you don't want to take away from your current roster from there's a reason you're so strong because you've got good players and you've got depth. You don't want to pull away. You don't want to, you don't want to create a hole and then just have to fill that hole. Right. You know, so it, it'll be interesting to see what Kelly McCrimmon can do. And what, more importantly, what, um, what his staff can come up with in terms of a creative solution. All that being said, they need help on the bottom six. It's not good enough. They need uh, they they need more depth, more scoring depth. Who doesn't? But if you want to, you look at the, you look at Colorado, you look at Tampa. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you throw in Carolina in that group. The Islanders look pretty good. I, I think Vegas is the way they're constructed. Could probably handle the Islanders, but some of those other teams. They go. They they throw four four lines at you, and you have to be able to match that depth. Shane, I keep coming back to this, and we talk about it on TV, off TV. They have seven players you can rely on to score, right? You've got the top six and Alex Tuck. Past that, it gets a little thin. You, you know, no sex been on a pretty good run lately. You had Carrier score lately. You had Reeve score lately. But when you get into the playoffs, to Gary's point, where you have teams that have, you know, depth through all four lines that are threats to score at even strength, that's a different story. So uh, how do you see them trying to shake this out between now and, and the trade deadline? Yeah, it's really interesting because, it, you know, they've got enough scoring now to win a round or two. Uh, but beyond that, you need depth. You hurt year in, year out to depth scoring. 
uh, getting that just provides that. That's what elevates you to a contender. And, you know, I think they're a really good team. They're a group that, you know, we hear it all the time. Alec Martinez says a group that genuinely cares and likes each other. There, there's no clicks. Everyone gets along with everyone. So th- there's a little bit of that that you, you got to be cognizant of. Um, but, you know, some things just haven't worked out. Cody Glass was kind of the the one, you know, maybe the dark horse were looking to take steps. And it's not on him. He's a young player. I think he's got a great future ahead of him. Uh, can he still, you know, take some more steps? Uh, the one thing we're talking about now, this is a team that, you know, you look at March, how good they were. Yeah, they weren't great last game against Colorado. But uh, you talk about ads at deadline. Well, it's going to be right around then or maybe a little bit earlier, hopefully, that you get Alex Petrangelo back. Like, is there a bigger ad a team can have than, than putting someone like that in their lineup? So, and, and then it's, you know, like I said, they're tight against the cap. You, you certainly hope there's not a major injury or something that happens. Uh, you, know, you mentioned the Islanders. They're probably available to do something. They lost their captain, Anders Lee. Um, so they, they got to try and replace that if they feel they can contend. You hope the Golden Knights don't have to go in that situation. But uh, certainly you'd like to see them add. It's just a matter of if they can. That bottom six uh, is scoring. And then, uh, I don't know, Dan, you might know more on this, uh, or Gary, Dave, is, is you look at the Henderson Silver Knights, there's guys rolling there. Is, is there any guys you want to take a look at that uh, have been producing? What are, what are they, 30-1? and one? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That would be a record of some no, sort. But they're, they're off to a terrific start, and, uh, you know, they're dominating the American Hockey League. There's some guys that are playing well. I, I don't know if they're ready to do that, but I'm like, you know, maybe it's time to take a look at someone. I've wondered that too, Dan, if there's a, somebody that could give them a shot of adrenaline to, to maybe shake it up a little bit, you know. And, and the thought that Gary and I brought up on the radio was, and, and you touched on this, Cody Glass, who's been a healthy scratch the last couple of games and his four goals are all power play goals. And, you know, sometimes just trying to maybe overdo it or overthink situations. Maybe the best thing for him is to yeah. go to Henderson, play some Confidence. hockey there. Get the confidence going, score some goals, remind himself how good he is, and and maybe that allows him to get back in at the NHL level and make a contribution down the stretch. And, you know, the other part of it is you've got a number of players there and what the combination on a third line, the combination on a fourth line, look on paper in theory, oh, that's what it should be. But it doesn't always work out that way. And sometimes something that doesn't work is uh, that doesn't look good on paper is what actually works in real life. We saw a very, very small period of time Cody Glass was with Will Carrier and Ryan Reeves on the fourth line, but it was the first time where Cody looked like, for at least a handful of shifts, like he was just playing hockey. He wasn't overthinking it because you don't need to overthink when you're playing with Will and Ryan. I'm not saying that that's the ultimate solution, um, but it just gets me thinking about maybe there's a combination that Pete DeBoer can find that is um, perhaps more productive. He did tell us on a recent interview that he thinks, and speaking highly of Tomasz Nosek recently, that on a championship caliber team that Tomasz Nosek is a fourth line player. Well, right now he's playing on the third line, which leads me to believe that they're not satisfied with the current configuration, despite everyone basically being healthy. So if it's Cody Glass going down to play some games in the American League, of course, Patrick Brown has been up from the, the Henderson Silver Knights. He's shuttled back and forth. Is there somebody else in the offing? Uh, I would I would like to see somebody. I don't know who it is. I don't know who's the right person to tab there. But uh, given the, the number of guys they've tried without any roaring success, I'd like to see see somebody gage quinney well 
Well, I was going to say, Shane, you know, as we as we chat here, I'm just taking a peek. You know, right now that you mentioned it, Shane, they're not they're not 30 and one, but they're 13 and three. So that's That's pretty good. Close. (laughs) Uh, But some of the guys that are putting up numbers down there, Danny O'Regan leads the team with 16 points. Gage Quinney and Dylan Secura tied for the team lead with seven goals. Um, you know, Dan mentioned uh, Patrick Brown's had a, a couple of cups of coffee uh, with the Golden Knights as well. I guess my my wonder on that is, and, and anybody could speak to this, there are players at that level that are elite players at the American Hockey League level. And boy, that that next jump, you'd think, you know, they, they'd be able to make and some guys make it. Oh. And for some guys, it's a big leap. So I do wonder about about that sometimes. If you look at those numbers and, and we all know this, they don't always translate, Shane, to, you know, to what you're potentially going to do in the NHL. You're, you're absolutely right. It's a big step. But and you guys, I'll, I'll put the question out there and maybe I'm wrong. We got a small sample size of Gage Quinney in games. Looked very comfortable. He, he's a guy I think that, you know, plays. He, he's confident. He's been around. Uh, I thought he was one of the best players in camp, um, you know, for what he did. Uh, you know, from what I've seen, I, I think he deserves a look. And, and, yeah, can it translate? I don't know. But he he's – what I like about him is he is super intelligent. He is a very, very smart player that I think I would like to – you know, he played well in a fourth-line role for the Golden Knights. Like I said, small sample. But what would he do with an Alex Tuck? He's creative. He's responsible defensively. I know they're going to say, is he strong enough? Well, let's see. Yeah, yeah, Gary. What do you What do you think? I I, I like that. Uh, certainly, I think you have to look at him before um, you get too far down the road here, because well, you know we're talking about two weeks uh, from April twelfth, just about right now when the deadline comes, and you'd want to know. And I also just think that you know, based on what we saw last night in Colorado, and that was after two days rest, there was no. You know, Pete DeBoer addressed it after the game, saying that there was no. Um, reason, no fatigue factor in that game. But I think there's some mental mental fatigue with this whole group, uh, just in terms of not necessarily, it's just, it's just hockey, 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 hockey. And I, I think a fresh mind right now is um, not a bad idea, but I, I want to see Gage Quinney for sure. Well, that's always the balancing act, I think, too, Dan. It, it, and I know guys have talked about this. Alec Martinez said it recently. He said, you know, the... The issue is that as a player, and, and Shane would know this better than us yeah. for sure, you constantly, even after a game, are replaying the game, right, in your own mind. You know, you have, let's say for the sake of argument, they had that game, and this was in the context of they played the game against the Kings last Sunday afternoon, and then they were coming right back to play the Blues Monday night. He said the problem is you replay the game in your mind that night, and then even it bleeds into the next day, and then you've got another game before you kind of start to move on. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how you alleviate that, um, but it, and they're going to have to find a way to deal with it, right? Because they don't have two days off now between games the rest of the year. Good thing they've won a lot because winning, winning makes it a lot easier to digest. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine, like, yeah. The Buffalo Sabres, their mental uh, state is not good. Uh, <laughs> they've been digesting <laughs> for a month. I think the Philadelphia Flyers are doing the Flyers these days. too. Yeah, it's yeah. That, the, you yeah. know when you're losing. So for the Golden Knights, and I think that's a good thing you mentioned. And Martinez said it well. You need to step away. And I think they got a veteran group. We've heard Pete DeBoer talk about it. Their ability to kind of just get away from the game uh, and, and you know reset. That's what you have to do. It is Man, interesting. Oh, sorry, Dave. Just no, I, I wanted to ask Shane one thing. You can't not practice though. 
Like you have to, like players have to touch the puck, right? They have to have, if you just play games, all of those other skills, they start to erode because you, you, how often do you have the puck during a game? You really, you, you do have to use your practice time and, and give players touches. Some of us more than others, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, no, it's important, and I think, you know, for them to get on the ice, that's when it kind of washes away. Usually it's after, like, they're going to be grumpy. I think they're going to they're gonna have a skate today, and then it's once that's over, that's when the reset happens. I remember that, you know, you carry that loss, you're, you're PO'd coming to practice next day, everybody's a little grumpy, you get on the ice, you work through it, and then, all right, it's on, you move on. So, and it is, it's about getting touches, about, you know, starting to feel good, a couple good plays, hopefully it's a good practice. Um, but that's when you, that's when the move on process really starts, is, is after you get through, because, you know, nobody's happy, like I said, replay the game, you're grumpy, but then you go sweat it out, and then that's, that's when it starts over. Yeah, I, you know, the thing that came to mind, guys, is, you can never quite figure it out with a team that didn't have uh, travel or that didn't have a short rest. All of the signs would point to a strong performance coming off a win, and then they it, it's, they just crashed. Uh, if it were that simple to predict, we'd all be in another business, right? <laughs> there's there's something about um, you know watching the games and seeing how it evolves, and sometimes it's just. Uh, a new wrinkle. You mentioned Alec Martinez, guys. I think a word that he used was disconnect. How do you disconnect? Read a book or listen to some music. It, it, I'm sure it's easier said than done for somebody. And it, on an individual basis, too, even on a night where the team plays well, maybe an individual player did not have a good night. And that can snowball if you have several off nights. Think about what Riley Smith is going through right now. I mean, he can't buy a goal. I mean, how many chances has he's had? Um, has no points, and I believe it's now seven games. Um, and he's stuck on 11 points for the year. Um, you know, Cody Glass, too. I mean, the Knights are doing all this winning, and Cody's, you know, not found an even-strength goal. So they're even talented players. Uh, you know, even Alex Tuck has one point. It's an empty net goal in the last nine games. I mean, these are players who've been good at times for the Knights. So even when you have success, you think it's going well, but boy, it's still got to, you know, be hard to disconnect from those challenges. So I, I do wonder then if there is something to be said for, you know, throwing somebody in there just to say like, oh, who's that new guy in the room? You sort of refresh and think, oh, there's somebody new here. OK, we, let's kind of zero in and, and get back to what we know we can do, whether it's as a team or individually. But I've never been in that room. Shane has. And uh, he's the only one of the four of us who has. Well, and, and the, the thing I mentioned last night on television was they, they've done a good job this year of not letting one bad game roll into another one, yeah. into another one, into another. They haven't, you know, they haven't lost, knock on any wood you can find as I tap my own coconut. They haven't lost more than two in a row. So their ability to kind of shake it off as, as a veteran group, uh, you know, look, Pete DuBois said, look, they get there. It was an old fashioned ass kicking. I mean, that's, that's what it was, yeah, but the comment then I you liked, just kind of let it fade away. Yeah. You have to let it, you have to move forward. Yeah, it's a new day. Uh, and I just to add on that, Dave, the comment I really liked by Pete DeBoer last night was, uh, you know, he said it was one nothing after the first, but that, that was kind of a mirage of how we were playing. And, and that yeah. I know as players, you can get trapped in that. All right, we're up one nothing. You think you're playing well, but it's not. And, and reality set in in the second period. Is there a line, Shane? I've always wondered this when a team gets beat pretty handily, and um, as the Golden Knights just did recently against Colorado. Is there a fine line between reacting and overreacting? 
you know, do you just kind of have to read your room as a coach, knowing you have a veteran group, knowing you've had a real good season compared to maybe other teams we've already mentioned in this Buffalo, Philadelphia is really struggling right now where it might be a different circumstance. And I, and I think most most good coaches really have a, you know, they, they know the temperature of the room. They know, they know how they handle it. Like, you know, for example, you, you win now, he'll know the time when he needs to, you know, bring the hammer down and, and I don't think they've ever been in a situation where they need a pat in the back. That would probably be more of the Sabres. They need, like, coddling right now, you know, when they're the, they're the Flyers. It gets to a point, a coach is mad, and then if it continues on, then he's got to start to lift his team. And most, and all those good coaches know exactly the temperature, how they need to handle, you know, not only individually, but to, as a group, uh, when when they need to, to bring it down. And I think... I think some of that will be brought down today. Uh, you know, video, video session won't be fun. <laughs> it depends on market too, right? Like in Philadelphia, there's going to be a bloodletting here. Someone's going to get sacrificed. It'll be an assistant coach or something. Like, some, someone's getting fired in the next uh, next 24 to 48 if they don't uh, if they don't turn it around. Like you can you can. That's just the way that market works. Buffalo, they've already fired everybody. So, um, and uh, now Kevin Adams is the is you know, because of COVID, but he's the head coach. He's the GM. Whereas Steve Simmons tweeted yesterday, Kevin Adams, who is the general manager of the Buffalo Sabers, a job we're not sure he's qualified for, is now also the head coach of the Buffalo Sabers, a job we're also not sure he's qualified for. Um, uh, uh, that's a tough situation for Kevin Adams, and I don't know. He might be the right guy. It's hard to tell because he's got no track record, right? Like he's other than being a, a former player. So uh, um, this is I've kind of gone off on a tangent here and I apologize for that. But uh, uh, it, Pete DeBoer has had the pulse like that's think of think think of since he took over how many losses there have been like that. It's a short list, right? You know, so um I, 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 I would, it would have been fun to have been not fun, but it would have been interesting to have been around the team. You know, like did Mark did Mark Stone go into DeBoer's? DeBoer said last night after the game, I didn't talk to them. He goes, you know, not right now. You know, did Mark Stone stand up and say, not good enough, guys? It's not, you know. And, and this, I want to ask Shane this: Why can't you change in game? Like I, we watched that game last night, and and Dan and I are on the radio. You guys are doing it on television, and halfway through the first period, I'm like, they just don't have the right mindset. Like you cannot, yeah. you you can't beat Colorado taking it a mile at a time. You got to go inch by inch against them and keep building and keep doing it. Like it's you got to dump the puck in. It's really simple. If you want to play cute in the neutral zone. It's it's over, and yet wh- wh- why can't someone on the bench say in the first period, guys, we got to change here. It's not working. There, there's games where you can say until you're blue in the face. <laughs> it just it happens, and we just yeah. they just mentioned it. How many can you count where they've had this under Pete DeBoer? Very, 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 very few. It's hard to recall where everything collapses. And those games happen to the best of teams, to every team. Uh, You know, Colorado even went through where they're getting blown out for a stretch. It it just it it just happens. And I don't know if there's an explanation. It's not that they don't want to win. It's just there's some games. Everything is off. And it's not a bad thing for a team to get embarrassed, especially, you know, on the stage they're on the Golden Knights. Hey. You know, they, they like hearing, oh, we're the team to beat, we're the team to beat. Well, everybody's talking, well, they have a, let's see this Colorado-Vegas matchup, and they got embarrassed last night, so yeah. nobody's talking about Vegas as the team to beat. So that there's nothing better than a little fuel uh, as an athlete and as a team to say, they're like, all right, well, now everybody's talking about the Avs. 
we, we better we better change their tune and uh, they've got an opportunity to do it on set tomorrow or Saturday afternoon. And let's look at the other reason why the Knights may not have had too many games where they've been ass kicked. The goaltender, Marc-Andre Fleury, has been extraordinary at times, and there have been a couple of one nothing shutout wins that he's had, including one against Colorado, a couple of shutouts against the Avalanche, in fact. So maybe there were some games where that kind of night was uh, hidden a little bit because Marc-Andre was that good, and it's not the only reason, but uh, that's something that the Knights have now with Fleury and Leonard going forward that the Avalanche don't have. Grubauer has played now uh, 27 out of the 32 games for Colorado. They tried to find a backup goalie from Buffalo. That hasn't started out very well. Um, is that sustainable in the long term? So you start to think not only about the here and now, the Knights losing to the Avalanche in one singular regular season game, but that advantage that we have talked about uh, over the course of the last several weeks to have two goaltenders like that, um, it maybe uh, hit a couple of games where the Knights are not at their best, but it also remains a great strength. And I think that'll only blossom as time goes on and uh, they can make it towards the postseason. I used to joke in the past, Dan, the Golden Knights should make sure Marc-Andre Fleury gets to games in an armored car. And I think the Avalanche are in the same boat with Philip Rubauer because if something happens to him, Lord knows. Uh, and it well, we saw it last year in the playoffs. He got hurt. Francois got hurt. They were in the Michael Hutchinson and and they didn't get very far. So, yeah, you're right. He's already played 27 games. Like, how? Yeah. how what's he going to play? All uh, 54? Like, seriously. Like, yeah. <laughs> they they got to yeah. figure something out there. Like, they, that's a really good team. And to undermine it by running that guy ragged, uh, 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 that, that to me for Joe Sackick is their ad to find someone to share the load. Not in the playoffs. Regular season to help, help Grubauer out. The Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave Podcast, brought to you by Finley Automotive, Finley Acura, Jaguar, Chevy, and Lincoln. Go check them out. They are the best in the business. You mentioned, Gary, the, you know, they had the two days off between games. That doesn't happen anymore now. No. Their schedule is a grind here the rest of the way. I, you've kind of, I think on Lawless and Order, maybe did some of the math as to what, what they've got ahead of them here between now and is it May 8th when the regular season comes to an end? Well, I stole the stat from Dan. Dan did it on radio. He said, At least you admit it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I said it on, on television as well. This is from my partner, Dan Duba. Uh, the first 28 games, they played them in 65 nights. The second 28 games, 50 days. It's going to be 50 days. And, and actually, this kind of pisses me off. The Golden Knights, when they got into COVID trouble, they didn't get any help in terms of, oh, we're going to expand your season. The Montreal Canadiens get into COVID trouble, and all of a sudden, oh, your season doesn't have to end on May 8th. We'll extend it to May 11th. Well, where, where's the competitive integrity? Like, if the Golden Knights got to squeeze and grind, why don't, why don't the Habs and the rest of the uh, elite up in uh, uh, True North strong and free? Like, that's – I'll be honest with you. I am I, Canadian and always will be, but uh, – uh, I don't like the look of this at all. Well, you got Gary oh, and Bill's phone number. Daly and Detman, yeah. give them a shout. Give them a shout. Say, look, this is baloney. Yeah. You know it and I know it. Uh, that, it's that, obvious they like the Canadians that, more than the Golden that'll Knights. Go, 
that'll go over well. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, look, and I, I, I didn't realize that. I also know this. I don't understand any of the rules when it comes yeah. to COVID. I yeah. don't understand any of them, and I'm sure everyone's doing the best they can. I'm sure but, there's a good reason for it. Yeah, you know, I maybe, don't understand you know, any of it. The, the, the Bell Center wasn't uh, available or it's whatever. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, maybe it's government issues. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. So anyways, hey, um, it bugs me. Just, so <laughs> the, month of, <laughs> the month of March, uh, the Golden Knights, you know, the last game aside, have been on a heck of a run. Nobody's on a better been on a better run, Shane, than Mark Stone. Uh, you know, lead, as of a couple of days ago, led the entire league in scoring in the month of March. And, you know, we've seen him do a lot of special things over the last two years, but he just kind of continues to, I don't know if it's a maze because I think you kind of expect it now from him, but boy, he's been on a heck of a roll. Smartest player in the NHL. Uh, just, and, and utilizes his abilities and his skills uh, to the maximum. It's, you know, a lot of guys are skilled or that, but they can't because they don't think the game as well as Mark Stone. So a lot of guys that have more skill, more talent, but he uses every single tool along with his best, his brain, and just creates. And then his passion, that's the, maybe the one thing that, that we don't look at enough. His competitiveness, his, it, it, he's, He's driven to be the best, and Pete DeBoer put it, he's a big moment guy. He wants to be a difference maker, and he is a difference maker. And it started in game number one when he first wore the C, took over a third period, and he's just continued to do it for this team. Uh, there was and there was never a question in my mind or all of ours about who should be the captain, but it, he's certainly put, uh, without a doubt, the stamp of absolute approval on the proper choice to lead this team and... and uh, again, in March, he's, he's in many situations when they've needed that turnaround, that spark, yeah, they've looked to number 61. It's one of the most prophetic things Kelly McCrimmon, McCrimmon has ever said. When they gave Stone the C and then they had their press conference that day, their media conference, Kelly said, the C sometimes weighs heavily on some guys. The C will actually make Mark Stone a better player. And it has. He, he has, in his mind, he has said, there's Mark Stone that wasn't a captain, and there's Mark Stone that is the captain. The captain, Mark Stone, has to live up to a certain standard. He's got to do certain things in game, out of game, and Mark Stone's going to do them. I'm sure he doesn't talk in the third person like Dave Gosher does. But <laughs> Most you people know, are jerks like that. Yes, but you know what I'm saying, Shane? And does that That's surprise you? Or have, you? have you seen that before in a guy? No, but you know what? And, and I think the answer to that is you get, you know, a lot of these guys that are captains have been top players since they've been 12, 13 years old. They've been told, you know, how good you are, your path to the NHL. And they have been. They've been great. You know, the Connor McDavid's, the Jack Eichel's, Jonathan Taves, all these captains, right, have been dominant at every age. Mark Stone was more like his, his dad. The story is, are you sure you want him in the Western Hockey League? He can't skate. Uh, <laughs> so he's had to deal with that, living up to, you know, exceeding what people, you know, thought he was. And I think he's a guy that loves that challenge. He wants to continuously prove his worth because he hasn't heard it his whole life. And, and that's what that drives him and what makes him so special is, you know, now he's given the C. He's going to like, I'm going to prove I can be one of the best captains in the league. I can be one of the top goal scorers. I can be one of the best defensive players. I can be the best leader. He has constantly got that 
uh, chip on his shoulder to continually prove himself. I would say that in addition to making himself a better player, he's making the guys around him better, even if he doesn't know it. Remember recently, Jonathan Marchessault told us how even without talking to Mark about it, he's watched how Mark uses his stick so Jonathan can do a better job defensively with his stick. I mean, I, I did not expect to hear that from Jonathan Marchessault, given the kind of player that he is. But that just tells you what kind of an imprint Stone has on the rest of the group. And we've asked younger players, who do you look up to? And, of course, Stone's name comes up all the time. Riley Smith, Max Pacioretty, depending on the kind of player that you are. But it seems that up and down the lineup, regardless of age, regardless of position, that Mark Stone has made an imprint on a lot of these guys in ways that maybe we didn't expect at first. Name one other winger in the league that makes players better around him. We hear it about centermen, but let, let's, is there one other player, a winger? Like, you can oh, Ovechkin. No, Ovechkin needs a, he needs a passing guy. Mark Stone, there, there's no other winger that you hear that comment yeah. made. He makes his line and everybody around him better. Yeah, yeah Mark Sean needs Bergeron, right? Patrick Kane might be the one guy that oh, yeah, puts into, into that group. He's okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's, done, he's done fairly well in his career. Shane, you touched on this, and I want to circle back to it. Uh, the return of Alex Petrangelo is pretty soon. Um, I don't know if it's going to be in the next game. He's not on the trip, so probably not. And the Golden Knights have a little four-game homestand next week. But the injection of him in this lineup, especially when it seemed that he was just kind of starting to play some of his best hockey of the yeah. year with the Golden Knights when he got hurt, and what that would mean for this group after uh, you know he's been out here for a little while. Well, yeah, and that's the unfortunate. He's finally starting to feel settled, right? It takes a little time, as good as he is, to, to settle in with a new team, new systems, new style of play, and he was finally getting that point and, you know, unfortunately gets injured. So, you know, how long is it going to take him to get back to, you know, Alex Petrangelo, you know, kind of status? I'm not sure, but uh, even him at uh, three quarters is uh, – <laughs> you'll take any day of the week, right? He, he's an elite defenseman in this league. He, he adds to every element of the game for the Golden Knights. Uh, it'll be a huge boost for them to get him back in the lineup. Uh, you know, I think the last game, Shea Theodore seemed like he didn't come off in the third period. Well, he's, you know, their big offensive guy. You know, you get a Petrangelo back there, all of a sudden, you know, one, two, like those two guys offensively, just not a lot of teams have that. So uh, that it's just such a huge add all over for the Golden Knights. You mentioned last night, Shane, and it's uh, it, it's worth repeating. Everyone talks about Colorado, <clears throat> excuse me, and their young defensemen. Rightly so. And they've got a great crop of young D. I think at times, and to your point, the Golden Knight, like, they've done pretty well in the young defense department oh. as well over the last few years, to say the least. I think it's the best defensive group they've had. Um, and sure, there's still some learning to go on, but welcome to what a defensive group looks like in you know 2021 you know teams you've got to be mobile you got to move the puck off the glass and out sure if it's the last option but the ability to skate the puck out to make plays and you know Colorado looked better at it last night with Byron McCarr uh, Gerard their ability but uh, you know Dylan Coughlin's come along there Zach Whitecloud Nick Hag Shea Theodore's still only 25 you know these are this is a young core of D that you know, can move the puck and and that's and and they're growing into those roles. You know, Hague's got I think he's got a lot of offensive potential. That long reach. He may not be as smooth as a Theodore, but uh there's a lot he's been offensive at every level. I think Dylan Coglin, 
He's got great feet. He, he's quick. He can skate. The ability to skate themselves out of trouble now is so important for a defensive group. And yeah, you got to like the youth and the way they're they're coming along here for Vegas and and chipping in offensively. Coughlin's not the guy I'd have to have, have out of the lineup right no. now. By the way, he, he's he's a perfect fit uh, against a team like Colorado that moves the way they do. But Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Day Podcast, brought to you by the D Hotel, the official downtown hotel of the Vegas Golden Knights. A couple of more things, guys, I want to get to. Um, big news around the league, Gary, just over the last few days, is uh, what happened with Tim Peel, longtime referee, scheduled to retire this year. You know, there's microphones everywhere, it seems, on the ice, in the world. Um, and he found that out in a hard way. Um, in a game recently, we were just officiating and had some comments about calling a penalty against Nashville. Your thoughts on how all this played out, and now uh, he's out. I know he was going to retire at the end of the season, but now that retirement's come a little bit earlier than expected. Yeah, first of all, you know, no one, I, I didn't like hearing what Tim Peel had to say, but that being said, you know, you know the referees think that in every in every game, not in not in one game a week or every other game. In every game, there is management going on right now. So to to take Tim Peel, who had a twenty year career, guy broke his leg on the ice and cr- and crawled to the bench, like you know worked his way off the ice with a broken leg. To to have his career just kind of be washed away in a press release like that. I, I, I'll be honest, it's a, to me, it's kind of a hollow gesture, and I would have much preferred the league to come out and said, yeah, we know this is a problem. Uh, it's not Tim's problem. He's not the only one. Tim shouldn't have said this on the open mic. Um, you know, we're going to give him a week off to think about that, but then we're going to let him finish his career the way he deserves to finish it, and we're going to strike a committee with the general managers in the offseason, and we're going to talk about this. The other, the other thing for me is I love the game the way it is right now. Like, we watch – I watch games at home every night. Uh, if we're not working, we watch games when we are working all the time. The games are entertaining. The, the, the pace is good. The refereeing is not an issue for me. I think the refereeing is excellent. Is it perfect every night? Absolutely not. But it, 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 this is to, to make the big deal that was made of this, I think is, uh, uh, frankly, I think it's an odd story. I think this was, this was manufactured by a bunch of people, a bunch of media members that decided they wanted to get on their soapbox that day for some reason. And I think it's unfortunate that Tim Peel is forever going to be known as the hot mic guy. Why do you think, Gary, the league handled it the way they did? Why didn't they back him? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And, uh, it, you know, one of the things that did come to mind for me is they do have a ton of partnerships now with, um, with, with, with people, with companies in the gaming industry. William Hill, uh, MGM is a huge league sponsor, uh, and it's just going to grow on, 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 on. Um, they, it cannot be. The perception cannot be out there that a referee can change because people don't just bet on the on the, the the result of the game. They bet on the spread. They bet on the over-under. They bet on all of these things. And when you give somebody a power play, that changes things. That can, if a team scores on that power play, all of a sudden, the gaming that is involved is affected. Like that. Imagine in the NFL if a referee decided. Uh, I'm going to call offside on this field goal and to make sure that the field goal doesn't count and the other team gets the ball. 
and it changes the spread. It changes the over under like the NFL would never want to have a referee saying on a hot mic. Uh, I'm going to make a call here that changes the per, that the that perplex the, the complexion of this game. So I think that had to be a factor for the NHL. And let's just remember here, guys, that there has been no accusation related to impropriety in that regard. Absolutely not. To draw a stark contrast to an NBA official years back who absolutely did. And retribution was swift and elimination was necessary. That's not what happened here. Let's just be very clear about that. And I, the other thought that I would add to what Gary said, guys, did is I, just to, just did I open that door at all, Dan? That, that's no, not what I was. Okay, no, good. I just want okay. to make it abundantly clear that Great. that is not the case here. Just to make a hundred percent sure, but also to 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 suggest this: What if it was not Tim Peel's last year? What if he was a twenty-eight-year-old referee and the same thing had happened? Would the referee's career have been ended? I wonder if the NHL took advantage of the situation. Hey, let's. Let this guy disappear because his career was end- ending in a in a couple of months anyway. So I, I, I tend to 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 wonder if this could have been handled a little bit differently. You don't want to see how the sausage is made, but let's recognize that we all still enjoy sausage, right? That's how I think of it. This is a hard game to officiate. I have a huge amount of respect for the officials. They don't always get it right, but way 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 more often than not, they do. I've never tried to be an official at a high level. I can't imagine the challenges that they're going through. And nobody likes officials. When they call something, it's always against your team and in favor of the other team. I have a lot of respect for what they do. I I think it's unfortunate that this happened. Um, you, You know, there's probably a little too much subjectivity at times. So maybe the league can adjust a little bit of it. But I do wonder if this could have been handled a little bit better by the league. Well, I, I mentioned, uh, Gary, you, you kind of touched on this, and that was the, the only thing I could think of is why they didn't back him was perception. If you right. give the perception it's not on the up and up, then you're the WWE. We know that's fake. We know it's fixed. The NHL is a much different story. I, I just, that's the only thing I could come back to. Shane, you played a long time. Yeah, Tim Peel refereed you. Right. Conversations that happen on the ice, things you've heard, um, did things like that. Have you heard things like that been said before in games you've been involved in? No, but there's an understanding. <laughs> yeah, I know Tim Peel. I, I, we kind of actually came up together because I had him in the American Hockey League as a ref and he moved on the NHL. I moved on the NHL. I've known Tim a long time. And there, Gary said it, there's a management to the game. There, you need to have an understanding of the game flow as a ref. And I've seen recently a lot of people and a lot of former players, they said, well, it's easy. Just call the rule book. Well, yeah, that's the case. Settle in. Where it was settle in. It's, uh, you know, you're going to have... 20 power plays. It's going to be no flow to the game. They want there to be flow to the game. Um, how do refs... You know, if you get three power plays in a row, the talk on the bench is, careful, we're going to get one here. You know there's one coming the other way. That, that, that's game management. That's, you know, and it may, it, it's not going to be for nothing. It just, it may be something simple that, you know, yeah, the rule book, it's a penalty, but, you know, they didn't call it three other times the other way, but you just got penalty. You just had power play, so now uh, it's time for you to go short. Uh, th- that's the management of the game. The refs, there's always a relationship to players and the refs. Uh, I loved when they talk to you. You're battling in the corner, you know, it's maybe a couple, easy, one more. Give you away. I'll give you one, but not two. You know, they, they're talking during play. There, there's a certain relationship between the players and the refs. 
I would not want to be a ref. It, it is not, it's not a job I'd ever want. These guys do the best they can. Uh, we've talked about it. We've, we've talked it through difficult situations. We went through it. One of the worst in San Jose. I don't know if you guys remember Game 7 there. No, um, I blocked that I out of my memory, Shane. And Thank I talked you. about it after. I said, yes, it sucks, but there's human error. It is a fast game. You cannot, unless we want to slow everything down and review absolutely everything, call the rule book by exactly to the T, it's going to kill the game. So the last thing I wanted to touch on was this, is we mentioned the Buffalo Sabres. So as we sit here now, the losing streaks at 16 and 20 of 22. Uh, I can't imagine broadcasting those games and trying to make it sound entertaining, but uh, God love, uh, you know, Rick Jenneret and the whole crew there in Buffalo. Um, my question is this to the three of you, and I guess I'll just start with Shane as a former player. Have you ever been on a team that, or for us, the other three of us, been around a team that has gone through losing on a regular basis like the Sabres have this year. Sheriff? Yes. Uh, Cincinnati Mighty Ducks in the American Hockey League when we were split. Uh, I was split with the Detroit organization in Anaheim. And I think we... I was thinking about this the other day. It was, it was around, I'd say, between 12 to 14 games. And it was not fun. Not fun at all, as you could imagine. Uh, the Sabres have, have eclipsed that, and uh, they've done it at a higher level. And uh, there was, a, let's just say, Cincinnati wasn't a roaring hockey market, so we didn't have to deal with uh, outpouring fans of hatred. But uh, I can't imagine Buffalo right now. Like that city has been starving for a long time. They're a passionate sports city, and they. They're they're lucky they're not allowed fan, a ton of fans because I don't know how many would show up. My first beat job was covering the Thunder Bay Flyers in the United States Hockey League. The head coach was a guy named Rick Aduno, who was kind of a Thunder Bay legend, was a real good player and uh, was a real nice guy. It's funny that I say that because he hadn't spoken to me since 1993. They lost 11 in a row. And I, and this is my first beat job. And I write a column thinking that I'm Jimmy Breslin. You know, New York City journalist, the coach has to go. I'm, I, I was 23 years old. I fired him on the front page of the sports section. <laughs> Two days later, he gets fired. And on Friday, I don't get paid. So I go downstairs and there are two women in accounting, which I learned after this. One of them was, uh, her name was Trudy McDonald. Her husband, Bill McDonald, legendary guy, was the coach of the Thunder Bay Senators. That was the minor pro team in town. The other woman sitting right beside her was Melanie Aduno. Melanie is Rick Aduno's wife. <laughs> I said, it would have been good to know that. I, I said, hi, ladies. My name's Gary Lawless. I work upstairs in editorial. Um, I didn't get paid today. And Trudy McDonald spit her coffee out because she couldn't believe that Melanie did it. And Melanie just looks at me and said, I know who you are. And then I'm like, um, okay. Uh, and then Trudy was like, uh, Gary, um, we'll, uh, we'll get you paid. Uh, uh, so Rick Aduno, uh, uh, real nice guy. We haven't spoke since 1993. What a jerk! Wow. <laughs> and you got how long until you got paid? I got uh, I I got an envelope of cash from Penny Cash <laughs> later that afternoon. <laughs> wow! 
Street cash yeah. always takes care of it. Dupes? Yeah, I, I've been around uh, a few really bad teams, but the one that comes to mind was in high school. I was broadcasting my high school's hockey games in Ridgewood, New Jersey, the mighty Ridgewood Maroons. My freshman year got to the state final four, the whole state. The following year, the eighth seed in the entire state of New Jersey. Some really great hockey, thrilling games, shorthanded goal in overtime to upset the number three seed in the state. Great team. My junior year, they won a single game. They went from one of the top programs in the state to one victory. And the one victory was against the local rival, the Paramus Spartans, whose head coach wore a black cowboy hat. And Paramus. <laughs> Johnny Cash? Yes. Yes. Uh, our bus driver said there's only one kind of person who wears a black cowboy hat, and I'm not going to say it on the air. There's uh, a game early in the season, Paramus defeats Ridgewood, and at that point, it was not a good season, but there was some hope to turn it around. Uh, later that year, it's against Paramus again, and Ridgewood finds a way to win the game. There was like two games left in the regular season. They finally won, and uh, there was a Paramus player who had guaranteed an undefeated season and that Ridgewood was going to go down, and Ridgewood won. And uh, at the end of the season, with only one win on the record, we had to try to make a highlight film for this season. And <laughs> that was a challenge. And what we decided to do, we put all the goals, all the saves, everything into this film, but we capped the highlight video with an entire section named Glory Day. And it was the <laughs> highlights of this one win against the Paramus Spartans. And you can guess which song we used as the audio track. And oh, that was, a song by Bruce Springsteen. Chat, that, was, by the way, uh, just that was Glory Day in uh, 2002. Uh, the Ridgewood Maroons, really bad. And you could, I mean, talk about riding the bus. We're riding literally a school bus. The bus driver was the PA announcer and had his own segment on the postgame show. Like, that's how close <laughs> that group was. But it was, uh, again, the huge success and then the mighty fall. You go from one of the best teams in the state to having one win. That was rough. What do you got, well, Coach? The only thing I've been around was my fourth year in the AHL in Providence. Tommy McVie, who oh. we all love. <laughs> love right? Tommy. And uh, so that year, the Providence Bruins, and it wasn't, I can't remember if they had a long losing streak, but they did a lot of losing. They won 19 games out of 80. You'd figure by a fluke you'd win 25, 26. They won 19 games and finished dead last in the league. So we all, you know, Tommy's got these stories. And so I, I would go in the Tom, the coach's office, you know, and that, as you know, we all know at that level, you're doing a lot of different things. I bring Tommy the stats every day. And so he had this orange chair, this beat up orange chair that just sat inside the doorway. And I'd always just sit there and it was like story hour. Cause he had, he was, you could sit there forever and listen and he had to the Tommy. best voice deep. Oh, his face was red so, as tomato juice. <laughs> so after the losing kept going, one day I went in there. He goes, you know what, kid? I said, what's that, Tommy? He goes, the draft won't allow it. I said, uh, what are you talking about? The draft won't allow the 20 worst players in hockey to all be on the same team. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a long, like, a, and I, it wore on Tommy and it just, it, it was so they, they won 19 games. And then the next year, just to kind of put a bow on it, 
uh, you know, they you know they made a change. Tommy, I think, felt it was you know, it was kind of time to, to to move on as well. They brought in Peter Laviolette. Half of that team that finished dead last in the league won the Calder Cup the next year. They went from dead last in the league to winning the whole thing. So. But it, it's just, you, we've all been through it on teams, around teams, where it's just like Groundhog Day. It is a grind at being around teams like that. Well, Tommy McVie, and, and we all love Tom, but he coached some of the worst teams in the history of the NHL. Like He coached the Capitals when they won like 10 games. He had the Jets their first year in the NHL when they won uh, almost no games. Like, he's been... Tommy's been around his share share of losses. Yes, he's the only guy to bench Bobby Hall to healthy scratch him on Bobby Hall night in Winnipeg. (laughs) He was late getting to the rink. John, he he tells the story. He says, Fergie comes into my office. His face is red as tomato juice. Where's Hall? Uh, I sent him home. You know it's hockey night in Canada. You know it's Bobby Hall night. You you, you can't. uh, He was late. I sent him home. I love that story. <laughs> the other one that I we could sit here for days. Yes. Wasn't he the coach of the New Jersey Devils when they were neck and neck with the Pittsburgh Penguins for the worst record in the league? They went on a run late in the season and they finished next to last as opposed to last. The Devils got Kirk Muller. The Penguins got this guy named Mario Lemieux. Yes. And Tommy yes. used to talk we, about that. We are that. aware of that. Here's how good a coach yes. I am. I screwed us out of getting Mario Lemieux. Who's he? What's he ever done? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a special, special man. Well, guys, it's been fun. So, yeah, we'll uh, lot to lot to cover here over the, the home stretch, as we said. Deadline coming up in uh, just about two weeks, and, and the Golden Knights are in a great spot. The, the the recent loss to Colorado notwithstanding, they'll have a chance to try to rectify that tomorrow when they take on the Avalanche again in Denver. So uh, be sure to watch us on TV, listen on the radio, whatever your pleasure might be. And we'll talk to you next time on the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast. Mm-hmm.